0: So, uh, if you have a Bible or an app, we're in Matthew 5, Uh, we're going to do two verses, 31 and 32 today, and uh, what we're uh, walking through is called the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' first recorded long discourse or long sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, given on the side of a hill what they would call a mountain and uh, and jesus is speaking primarily to like his disciples but in an extended way to uh, all of the other people who would be there listening and, and people who were following him as a teacher walking around and what we're in the section of the sermon that we're in uh, if you know sermons have like beginnings and middles and endings and different and you know, point one point two and what jesus is going through is uh, a section uh, where he says you've heard it said this but I'm saying this. So you've heard people talk about things and you've heard people say this thing over here, Um, but from now on, this is the way that we're going to understand this or this is the way uh, to follow God in the new things that I'm doing. Um, And and so here we're going to read Matthew 5. Last week we talked about marriage and, and lust and the, invo- and the correlation between those two. Uh, and now we're going to talk about divorce uh, and adultery and uh, the correlation between those two. All right. So um, this should be just insanely uplifting. Um, <laughs> uh, this, it really is uh, I want to just let you know what we're going to do. Um, In our culture, divorce has affected uh, um, everyone. And uh, you either have gone through this in your immediate family or you have friends who have gone through this. And so um, we're going to read the scripture uh, and that'll probably bring out a whole bunch of questions in your mind. And then we're going to talk about the culture uh, that this was originally delivered in so that we can understand it better. And then we're going to talk about what this means for us uh, today. All right but I'm just going to throw the scripture out there first and see what happens Um, it's good stuff I had a a teenage boy I was a a camp counselor and this teenage boy comes up to me and his mom had been divorced and remarried and and he read this and he goes so is my mom an adulteress? Um, which is always a question the youth pastor wants to get asked right? Uh, like uh, no no Jesus was joking Uh, Okay. Um, so let's read this it was also said, this is verse 31, uh, whoever divorces his wife, uh, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So let me read it again. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. A little bit harsh, huh? Uh, So Jesus delivers this, though, to a Jewish audience, as a Jewish person. And in the Jewish culture, they would have been following uh, the Jewish law, uh, which we can read today, because it's in our Old Testament, or what we, the section of the Bible that we call uh, the Old Testament, All right, and the, when he, Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, he's actually referring to ways that people understand the law, or understand the Old Testament law, specifically, Uh, Jesus is not, and I want to make sure that you understand this, Jesus is not creating a new law. All right? Jesus calls himself the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. So he's not saying this was the rule, but now this is the new rule. And we talked about this over the last couple of weeks because rules aren't the things that build relationships. Rules exist, but serving the rules helps. Uh, we do that when we're looking for loopholes, right? Rules exist in relationships that are antagonistic. Uh, you, have, you don't have re- relationships that are based on rules, Usually you're not having those people over for dinner. Usually you're not naming your kids after those friends, All right, Relationships that are built on contracts and rules uh, aren't relationships. What Jesus is not doing is saying, here's the contract you you used to have with God, now here's the new contract. What he's saying is a correction in their understanding of what the old contract was. And so we have this Old Testament law and we try to live it out and people were living it out in ways that it wasn't intended to be lived out in ways that ended up being hurtful not helpful and Jesus is giving kind of a course correction for the people of God saying you're going way over there don't go over there you need to come over here alright so there's two clauses I want to throw out there the first is that Jesus is not making a new law the second is that um, we're going to treat just this verse And so you're not going to be able to come to a full and complete understanding and have a theology of divorce this morning, all right? Uh, This is a big issue. And a lot of people have been hurt by doctrines that have been made incompletely. Uh, Just like if we just took one verse on divorce and we said, therefore, this is it from now on, we'd be in a lot of trouble, right? Um, Because we would take like the verse Jesus wept and said, if you want to be like Jesus, you need to cry all the time, right? Uh, so it, it's a danger to take one verse and say, and we're going to base all our theology on this one verse. Uh, so we're not going to end up with a full and complete theology of divorce and adultery here this morning. We're going to talk about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about divorce and adultery. The, the, oh, does that make sense? So don't leave here and say, I am now an expert, because uh, you're not, all right? No, I am not. And so... Um, This is Deuteronomy 24. This would be the Old Testament law. And I'm just going to read this. Um, You can look it up later if you want. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, 2, 3, 4. uh, says this. Um, When a man takes a wife, and he marries her, and he finds no favor in his eyes because because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and he puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house... And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends, him out, sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled for that is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. These are the laws concerning divorce. Uh, interesting concepts. Uh, Now, there's no... You probably noticed the divorce here is the man's choice. And if the man finds some indecency or if he hates her, he writes her a certificate of divorce. The certificate of divorce gives her legal permission to remarry. It says you are free from the covenant that you made to me and you may remarry. And the woman would either go home to her parents or try to find another husband. In their culture, the woman um, didn't have a lot of marketable skills or marketable opportunities uh, in order to survive. And so there was illicit trades that she could get involved in or she could be married or or continue to live at her parents' house. And so the man would write a certificate of divorce. There is no provision for a woman writing a certificate of divorce. Uh, Wait, I'm going to... Men, make sure you don't amen this at the end because we're going to talk about this being bad. Uh, There is... Women were not allowed to do the things that men were allowed to do. All right, we don't have rules against human beings flying, right? Because human beings don't fly. Why would we make a law about that? And in their culture, they would have looked at that as the same way as a woman writing a certificate of divorce. Like that. Why would we have rules about that? Because that just doesn't happen. And and there was just if a woman ever said that, they'd be like, that is so weird. Why why would you even bring that up? You know. So there, there was no like uh... woman's liberation there was no equal status it was a different time culturally and so a woman would never even have the opportunity to think about writing her certificate of divorce and so the man would actually write this certificate of divorce but this law is designed in Deuteronomy 24 to protect women because if a man divorces a woman what is she supposed to do? if a man divorces a woman she needs Uh, one of these three options. Go back to her parents or an illicit trade uh, or get a new husband. And so the certificate of divorce would allow her to get a new husband. And so the law is designed to protect women not to oppress women. Can you see that? Women were already oppressed in their culture and in the surrounding world. And so this law is actually liberating for women. But, as you can see, when we have rules, we look to see how we can bend them. And the man would look at this and say, oh, that woman finds no favor in my eyes because I found some, some indecency in her. Now, there were two schools of thoughts on this, and two major rabbis who would teach on this, uh, and they had opposing viewpoints. The one, some indecency meant, uh, and this is in the translation, sexual irregularity, all right, uh, which we would say is adultery, uh, fornication, those kinds of things, all right, things that you don't want in your marriage. If she does those things, that is grounds for divorce. The other, and what's called more liberal viewpoint, was some indecency means uh, anything that the husband defines it to mean. So, and there are actual writings of this. If the woman fails to obey your command that is grounds for giving her a certificate of divorce if (laughs) uh and yes me and my wife have talked about these um if uh if the woman burns the bread that was intended for dinner that is a disappointment and that is grounds for a certificate of divorce uh, this would be the more liberal interpretation of this. And if you're just looking for rules, you can find that this bread is indecent. You can expect a certificate later. <laughs> All right. You can see this not going over well in our culture today, right? There would be men with black eyes, um, and uh, <laughs> it just so when they have this law, though, originally this law is intended to protect the woman. Because the woman would, if she was just sent away by the man, she would just be sent away. But what happens is, in their culture, when we're just trying to follow rules, we look for loopholes. And now I can send away my woman or my wife with a certificate of divorce because of whatever reason, I decide to fill in on the blanks on the certificate of divorce. To the point that... This is actual writings from the ancient Near East. If I found another woman who is younger and more fairer, that would be grounds. Because she has no longer found favor in my eyes. This is an oppressive turn of the culture towards women. When when the woman is started to be treated as property, when God's law is intended to treat her as a human... And so when Jesus speaks against this divorce, you've heard it said, when a man wants to divorce, you've heard it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. There were actual men who would actually say, I am so morally upright, and I am so righteous, that when I divorce my wives, I write them a certificate of divorce. So that when I get to heaven, I won't be in trouble, because I followed the law and the rules that I was intended to follow and I got toast that wasn't burnt Right? (laughs) you can see the ridiculousness in this when we're following rules when we're supposed to be living in relationships and when Jesus addresses this it's a condemnation towards the men not a condemnation towards the woman Jesus is saying you're taking a law that was intended to protect women to protect The people who didn't have rights in your society, this is what that law was for, and you're using it to hurt the people who don't have rights in your society. It is actually, when you think about it, the most disgusting thing that can happen when something that God gave meant for good in a bad situation is used to make more bad in a bad situation. When something, a gift that God gave in order to protect the oppressed, we use to oppress the oppressed even more. I, I don't know if you can think of uh, something that's more evil than using something that's made for good to turn around and use it for evil on the very people who it was intended for good for. So Jesus says his correction comes in their culture. Now, their culture is obviously different than ours. Uh, it was 2,000 years ago. Women didn't have the rights that they do today. But um, the rates of divorce and the rates of adultery uh, were much the same as they are today. For a Jewish woman, adultery was seen the same way. Like, why would she... That would, we don't even think about that because that doesn't happen. But for Jewish men... There's us, and, and this isn't Orthodox Jews. These aren't the ones who are actually um, have integrity. <laughs> These are the ones who are living in the culture of the people that are surrounding them. In the culture of that day, men's uh, sexual irregularities, as they would say, were seen as something that just happens. We're seen as normal. Men do those kinds of things. And so women were continually oppressed, and given a separate standard and a separate way of life than the men were, which I think you can see in our culture today, we view men and women in their sexuality differently. Plus, we see divorce as an option. I lived outside of Atlanta for uh, three and a half years, north end of Atlanta, and driving in Uh, you would get to what we always called Spaghetti Junction because there's highways going everywhere and right there, there's a billboard. It says Easy Divorce, $400. I don't know, it might be more now, who knows. But it was advertised as being cheap and easy because when you're having a divorce that's what you're looking for. It, It was just shocking to me every time we drove in and to just see this message repeated. And they were making enough money to have a billboard on an interstate for four years. Alright? So this was a successful business that was going on. And when we look at our culture, divorce is seen as an easy option. Whereas divorce, when God created marriage, wasn't intended to be the easy option. If, and I say this in all seriousness, if you talk to people who are divorced or who've gone through divorces, even if it was a terrible situation that they were in, they would tell you that divorce sucks. They would tell you that when they were going through this, there was no celebration in it. Even in abusive situations, it still hurts. To end this thing that I believed in. It still hurts to dissolve a relationship with someone. Who I loved with everything I had in me. And yet when these men in the culture that Jesus is addressing approached divorce. They approached it as I'm following the rules. And so I'm good with God. I've done the letter of the law. I wrote her a certificate. As if that's what she wanted. As if every young girl's dream was to someday be able to have a certificate if they displeased their husband or burnt the toast. And then Jesus says this, But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality. Now, uh, there are scriptures that actually outlaw divorce completely. All right? Jesus says these things. And, and we don't have time to deal with Jesus' treatment on divorce and the way it looks different in different scriptures and those kinds of things. Um, you can Google that and research that. Um, but there are scriptures that talk about this divorce uh, and remarriage. And, and there are whole denominations built uh, on an understanding of divorce and remarriage. Alright. I will not... Um, change what the scripture says so that we can feel more comfortable about our own culture. Does that make sense? Uh, I think that's really, really dangerous. If we say, yeah, but everyone's getting divorced, so Jesus certainly doesn't want to condemn everyone, maybe he does. And that would kind of suck. right? And you can say amen to that. Uh, It would suck if Jesus looked at us and said, you all suck, right? Uh, That would, I'm saying suck a lot because this is just kind of a downer. Um, But uh, I think if you actually talked with people who went through divorce and went through remarriage, it's incredibly difficult. And it doesn't get easier Uh, we used to have a friend who was a woman and she was married to a man uh, who had an ex-wife and she used to call it my ex-wife because of the pain that was involved in her new marriage relationship with the man that she loved because of past history. She had an ex-wife now because the two of them were were one. Uh, And that's the kind of thing that goes on. I mean, some of you can resonate with that. You understand the relational tension that happens because of this and you understand that that's not the absolute greatest part of your life it just isn't it's a complication and a tension that you live in uh, because you love uh, and and because this is the way that life has uh, worked out for you whether you expected it or didn't expect it this is the truth of your life so when Jesus says I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for on the grounds of sexual immorality, he's actually referring to scripture, uh, but he's siding with particular interpretations. Like there were rabbis who said, if she burns the toast, you can get rid of her. And then there were rabbis who said, only on sexual immorality. And Jesus actually sides with a particular teacher in his day. And which is an incredibly interesting turn for Jesus. He says, you men who are divorcing your wives for reasons besides this. And, the, and you can read through, we don't have time for a full treatment. But the, you can read through and see where sexual immorality and abandonment are just causes for divorce. But divorce is still a last resort. Alright? Uh, which anyone who you talk to would say the same thing. So except for on the grounds of sexual immorality, if you divorce her for something besides sexual immorality, you, uh, this says this, you make her commit adultery. So if the woman in the relationship hasn't committed adultery and you divorce her for something else... You side with the understanding of the law that says she burnt the toast, so, uh, or burnt the bread, so I divorce you. What you're doing is causing her to commit adultery. And <clears throat> further, whoever marries this divorced woman is committing adultery as well, and all of that fault lands on the, the original first husband. You're causing a woman to commit adultery. And so the blame and the fault in this doesn't land on the woman. It lands on the man who's oppressing a woman through a law that was intended to help her. And the blame for the adultery that her new husband would receive, the judgment for that lands on the original husband. And so twisting the law doesn't just pervert what God was trying to do. It compounds judgment on a person and fault for sin on a person for sins that they cause other people to do. Theologically, this has huge consequence, not just in the situation of divorce and adultery, but in other situations too. If you live in a way that your wealth or, pros, or, or your having causes people who have not to sin in order to live. The blame may not rest on them as much as it may rest on the people who run the system that causes this to happen. Theologically, you can see these things connecting. Uh, we're not going to talk about all these social justice issues, but what God is saying is that a sin that is caused by someone else, you don't get to blame the, the you don't get to blame the person who is living in the non-power and the, like there's a power role in all relationships you don't get to blame the person who's living in the non-power role last week we talked about lust and we talked about how Jesus puts the blame for lust not on the woman who may be dressing in a way uh, that would cause lust but on the man you don't get to blame the other and in their culture they had rules not for the men but for the women. And they would dress the woman in clothing uh, that would hide. We still have this in our culture today in the Middle East when women will wear things that only see their eyes or have screens because even the eyes might cause lust. What that's doing is saying the women have to adjust because the men are struggling with lust. And what they were trying to do by writing certificates of divorce is saying the women have to put up With sin or the results of sin, because the men want to continue living in the way that they want to live, but they're following the rules. And Jesus is saying, Your understanding of following the rules is actually destroying what God intended by those rules. We would love, we really would, we would love uh, to have rules like we often talk about the Jewish people as if oh they had to follow all these rules follow all these rules but if you talk to an orthodox Jew they actually love the, the rules they love the law because it lets them know where they stand with God uh, you know and, and, and men you can amen this if you just had rules in your relationship like I'm supposed to bring home flowers every 5.6 days and then I know I'm satisfactory <laughs> you know I'm satisfactory uh, there's a part of you that would love that you would love to know that everything's cool. And when she says it's fine, it's actually fine. <laughs> right? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so we, we understand that rules are actually a source of comfort. I don't want to pretend uh, that, that we hate rules. Because in relationships, uh, there are... And you would have a relationship. In your marriage, if you actually sat down, there are probably rules. There are probably boundaries that you don't go past. Things that you don't talk about. Or things that you leave alone. Right? Or times of the day when you don't have discussions. (laughs) Pre-coffee. Those times. Right? And so by following those rules, it brings comfort. But, if you were to say... But honey, it's only been four days and I brought you home flowers and I'm only required to bring home flowers every 5.6 days. Or honey, I brought you home these flowers because it's the day of the week that I'm supposed to do that. What you've done is robbed that whole relationship of love and you've created a machine that you follow instead of a relationship that you love. And when Jesus is talking about divorce and adultery with his audience in the culture that he's talking to, he's actually saying you've turned marriage into like a legal agreement instead of into a sacred covenant, which actually represents the covenant between God and his people, between Christ and the church, which is described as his bride. And when we begin to treat marriage as something that's a legal entity, a rules-based understanding of marriage, we lose the understanding that God gave us of marriage that's based on self-sacrificing love, where God sacrificed everything in order to establish that love relationship that's described as Christ and his bride To understand that the church, like that's all the people who follow God are described as the bride of Christ. And the relationship that we have doesn't sound like, yes, Jesus, but I followed all the rules. Now, we put it differently. Yes, Jesus, but I was at church a lot. Yes, Jesus, but I volunteered. Yes, Jesus, but I read my Bible. I read it all the way through. And there were parts that were boring, Jesus. Right? (laughs) when we start to describe our marriage to Jesus in that way we actually start to take apart the very thing that makes it holy and makes it beautiful when we have arguments and in our culture right now there are plenty of arguments over what marriage is and when we all of our arguments as Christians our argument doesn't exist in a legal entity our argument exists in a spiritual entity because of the self-sacrificing love that is described in marriage there is a descriptor in marriage of the love that God has for his church of the relationship between Jesus and his church when we fight about only legalities and, and uh, I'm not trying to change anyone's political opinion you can think whatever you want well you can't, but whatever um, laughter I'm not a citizen, and so I don't vote, All right, If you're visiting. (laughs) But if you only think about things in a legal way, then you betray the very faith that you confess. So if these men who are writing certificates of divorce were only thinking I'm following the legal law, they're betraying the very holy and sacred nature that marriage was given by God in the book of Malachi, which is the last book before the New Testament, the last book in the Old Testament, it talks about marriage. And it talks about God being unwilling to receive the sacrifices and the offerings of men because they were unfaithful to the wife of their youth. And it actually says, when God brought you together. And in a marriage, it's God bringing people together. And it actually says, and his spirit was injected or like a little bit of God's spirit is put into a marriage. And so when a marriage falls apart, even if you don't have kids, as I have I have a close friend from high school who talks about his divorce says it's all right. We didn't have kids. It's not just those two people that go through an incredible amount of pain and suffering, but God is right there in that so I want to talk about two things to close. If you've gone through divorce or you're about to go through divorce and the suffering that you're feeling and you're wondering why is this happening? I'm assuming, like I'm going to assume if you're a believer that divorce is at the very end of your options. I'm going to assume that divorce is happening because of things like abandonment and adultery in that in your suffering and in your pain we like to ask the question where's God and if you look at Malachi this is in chapter 2 or 4 of Malachi I can't remember when you look at this where is God he's right in the middle of it and every single time in our culture when divorce happens God suffers right beside the people who are suffering like right in the middle of it so if you've gone through divorce and you feel that pain and maybe you still feel that pain i want you to know that that pain is felt by god that god isn't looking at that saying you should get over it or you should get healed from that or you should have victory over that god is saying i'm right here and i'm right here with you it doesn't make it go away it doesn't make it easier doesn't make the hurt softer but I want you to know that God's right in the middle of it and then I also want to talk about people who aren't married All right, some of you here today are you married And you're not getting divorced. Uh, And your marriage might be the best it's ever been. And and that's great. And you're like, geez, this was a downer. Uh, That's great. Some of you may be considering getting married. Uh, Some of you may be young. Like if you're like 12, 13, 14, um, now's the time to be thinking about, and and I know you're not going to believe me, but when you're 30, you'll agree. Um, 35. Um, But... (laughs) Because by the time you're 30, people won't grow up until they're 40. But um, getting involved in marriage is this incredible, incredible, sacred thing. And I'm not talking to, to the people like uh, who are about to get married. I'm talking to the people who don't even have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, maybe it's against the rules for you to go out on a date, alright? And your parents are right. But... Um, <laughs> In, in Jesus' day, marriages were very arranged, at least your first marriage, uh, because you lived in a village, and so you would marry the one other girl in the village or the one other boy in the village who was within five or ten years of your, uh, like, birthday, all right? And so marriage was very, very arranged. Like your parents chose the person. And in our culture we have this weird thing where you choose the person as if you have that ability when you're a young person. Um, seriously. And, and I'm not saying I'm for arranged marriage. I'm just saying I would marry whoever my wife told me to. So, um, but, but there is, uh, uh, while there is a cultural difference, I would encourage you to prepare yourself to be an image of Christ and his church. If that's the way that the Bible describes marriage, then instead of trying to find the cutest person or the strongest person, what if we looked at ourselves and said, I want to be this image, this image that God calls me to be? And so as a young person, and I'm speaking to extreme, like the youngest people in the room, all right? As a young person, don't be thinking, how do I land the person I want to land? Be thinking, how do I become the image or the representation here on earth of what Jesus is? And I often talk about this with people who get married, that the gospel is for your marriage. The forgiveness of Jesus should pervade a marriage because that's how marriages continue, forgiveness but the gospel is also not just for your marriage but the marriage is for the gospel because when you see a married couple who love each other with love like you can't even imagine what you're seeing is the love between Jesus and his church when you see a married couple and this is why this is especially true in elderly married couples, couples who've been married for decades And one of them maybe is sick and going through something terrible. And you're like, man, that husband or that wife is there. What you're seeing is an image of Christ with you. So that when you're suffering, or when you're sick, or when you're not living up to your end of the covenant, what you're seeing, or what you're experiencing, is Christ living it up for you? Is Christ extending forgiveness to you? So young people, prepare yourself for marriage. People who are suffering or have gone through incredible suffering in in a marriage context know that God is right there with you. As much as this scripture, it's hard to find. You read it and you're like, well, that's a downer. Thanks, James. Knowing that God is there in your pain and knowing that God has designed for your life that glorifies himself, I don't think there's anything more encouraging. (laughs) to know that God is there, and to know that God has this plan that is even better than what you could think of. Let's worship together. Let's stand, we'll pray. And the band can come up on stage. But I'd like, to, if we could, to pray for each other in a way, because I'm sure that in a context like us, there are either people who are suffering or who have gone through suffering and we want to pray for them. Then there are people who are probably looking to be married someday or... Those kinds of things, and we want to pray for those as well. So we'll join in prayer together for each other right now, maybe for yourself. Our God, uh, around us and in our own families, there are people who have suffered incredibly because of relationships dissolving. There are people who have been thrown to the side because a spouse just walked away. And in our culture, it's not just a, a man thing or a woman thing. It's a, it's a people thing. And we want to pray that you would be there in the suffering as you promised, that you would make yourself evident in the suffering. We don't pray that we would just lose all our suffering and just be happy, happy people, but really that you would walk through even the most difficult times with us. Our God, we pray sincerely that for, for those of us in this room who are younger, we pray for our brothers and our sisters who are younger and who are walking into a time in their life when they'll be looking for that partner. And we just pray that you would glorify yourself in these young people. That you would keep them for the person that you dream, them, dream of them living with in a way that displays your covenant with your church for all people for all time. Just continually glorify Yourself in our homes, in our marriages, in our godly children. And just continue to make Yourself the center of our lives and of our marriages and of our relationships and of our homes. We pray this, of course, only by Your grace. Our effort could not produce this, but Your Spirit could. And so we thank you for your spirit being, as it's promised in Malachi, in our marriage and in our family. And may your spirit, as the power agent of God, bring holiness to the very things that are most core to who we are. Amen.